When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back, beautiful people. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Pam and Daniel Poor. It's good to be back because I haven't been around for a little while. <laughs> Listen, it's good to have you back. Uh, once I, I just wanted to thank our listeners and viewers uh, for all of the support that you've given us, the patience that we've uh, received from this, the questions that we get from the listeners and viewers. I mean, this is really what uh, drives our podcast and our YouTube channel because without these questions, uh, you know, we got to come up with topics on our own and sometimes it's a little challenging. We feel like we talk about the same thing every single time. So thank you so much. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Today we've got a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I know we've talked about it previously in a podcast, but I think it, it deserves uh, going over one more time and that is the rhytidectomy, facelifting. It's become all the rave. We've seen it in the uh, in the news. We've seen it on social media before and afters. You know what's good, what's not, who's great, who's not. Um, and I think we'll kind of touch on some techniques and why certain uh, techniques are better than others. Why some surgeons are better than others. And we'll we'll give you tips on what to look for. And I may be very biased, but I find uh, this gentleman sitting next to me to be as good as they get. And that's why I think today's podcast is great because um, really I'm going to pick his brain, ask him a bunch of questions because the evolution of his technique, and I think a lot of people, um, things have changed over the past, uh, we can say 50 years, but really even the last five to 10 years mm -hmm. on the facelifting techniques. And it's made recovery a lot easier. And therefore what you're seeing is people are doing it at a younger age and you'll see it more frequently. People were very scared to have a facelift. People were freaked out they were gonna look different. People were very scared that not only that, it was gonna be a significant amount of downtime. And we're gonna go over how long it takes to really look like yourself again, what you can expect, if you're a candidate, why you should do it, what you should look for, all the good things that make people say, hey, I need a facelift. Now, non-invasive solutions are great, and we've talked about all of them, but this is where you've already done fillers and you've reached filler fatigue, you've done so much and you've done your non-invasives, and it's time to really think about a surgical solution to rejuvenating the face. Yeah, listen, I think, uh, you know, these are all great points, and, and hopefully you learned something today because um, each one of the, the points that we're going to make are going to be important for you, so, so stay tuned. Um, you know, really, when we look at the history of facelifting, there are three different types. You know, I'll, I'll generally categorize them. One is a skin only. One is where we manipulate the SMAS, which is the uh, superficial muscular aponeurotic system. And the last one is a deep plane. That's where we're uh, elevating a skin and a tissue flap together. Uh, and there are pros and cons of each one. I think, um, you know, ultimately I feel that one of them is the best for, you know, certain candidates. And we'll kind of go over some of those things. I mean, if you look at the history of facelifting, we look at skin only. Wow. You know, this is where 
Um, it's probably one of the easiest facelifts where you remove extra skin. Um, you know, the, the downside of that is that uh, you have a delayed or excess swelling. Sometimes you distort some of the structures on the outside, and that's why you know facelifting has gotten such a bad rap because it was one of the easiest things done. Uh, you remove skin, but now look what happens when you pull next to the sides of your eyes or the face or things like that. You know, you distort the corners of the mouth, you distort the corner of the eye, um, and and that's really because it, the vector of pull is really from the top layer. And so you know, there are certain times when we want to do that, um, but when we're looking at longevity, skin loses 1% per year of collagen after the age 18. So if my repair is relying on just a skin-only repair, uh, it's not going to last very long. Uh, you know, maybe you get a year or two out of it, and, and, and after going such a large procedure with downtime and things like that, I don't think a year or two is, is really worth it. So then we move into the next category, and this was really uh, the majority of the way I was trained in residency, uh, you know, by the time I graduated in 2009, most people were manipulating the SMAS. And that is a thin but very durable connective tissue that is overlying the muscles, nerves, arteries, veins. And in pulling on this area, uh, you can essentially resuspend all of the structures underneath. Usually the way this is done is you create a skin flap, so we elevate the skin, then you somehow either elevate the SMAS or you pull on the SMAS or, you know, there, there was even a technique that we learned called the MAX, which was minimal access cranial suspension. And it was big fancy acronym for essentially just manipulating the SMAS with one or two stitches. Um, and this I feel has a much better, longer lasting effect um, and for for many individuals, it's and much. Remember, and the big difference was with the max was that it was all in a vertical direction, right? Mm -hmm. So so things changed in in the the whole thought of pulling things that wind blown appearance of pulling a thing, pulling every vector back towards your ears. It was now let's pull everything back up to where they needed to be. So it was a great idea, right? With the max, definitely, but it didn't last as long, right? Yeah. Well, listen to Tenard. Um, uh, and Verpol are two surgeons uh, that uh, you know are in Belgium, and and they have perfected the Max. They have amazing results. Have written multiple textbooks and and sent out video DVDs, and um, and, and so I think that the concept is there. You're right. There was one stitch that had a big vertical pull, and then there was one oblique stitch right. that kind of pulled. You know, because in the face you can't just pull horizontally. You can't put pull vertically but it has to be in two separate directions. The difference was the Max really hammered home that a pole needs to have a vertical vector. It has to come up as opposed to out because it leads to a much more natural look. Again, and, and most people that come in for a facelift, why they come in? They have jowls mm -hmm. or they have malar flattening or malar descent, mm -hmm. which these are big words for what ends up happening is you have the jowling right around underneath your, your jawline starts sagging or your cheeks start falling and you look at yourself as you feel like, oh my God, my face is falling. Mm -hmm. It's not falling to the side, it's falling down. So what do you need to do? You need to peel it back up. That's right. And that was the whole thought. But keep going. Yeah, there's, yeah listen, there, there, you know, and that's where the evolution of mid-face lifts through the lower eyelid where mm -hmm. you kind of 
resuspend the mid portion of the face. So the, the really the thought process was, can we lift the face in multiple different uh, directions in order to make you look more youthful? So then there was the development of the deep plane facelift. And this to me, I feel is for more experienced surgeons, um, you know, because you are, you're mucking around near some very important nerves, the nerves of, uh, of animation of the face. And so you injure one of those nerves and it looks like you've got a stroke or palsy or something like that. So, it's, you know, this is definitely a, a more uh, challenging or, or technically uh, uh, difficult procedure. Um, it's one that I have employed for years and uh, I think that um, it's, you can get a very reliable result and I feel that the retuck rate, which, um, you know, is a very real thing in facelifts. You know, a lot of times we lift and then certain parts of the face fall. And so we have to do a retuck. Um, you know, the retuck rate for some of the deep planes are, uh, is a little smaller. And so that's why I feel in the appropriate individual uh, that the deep plane is probably a superior procedure. Now, it doesn't, it's not... Not everyone is a candidate for that and or, or uh, requires that. But it's actually where we release four separate uh, ligamentous structures. And one is called the zygomatic cutaneous ligament. The other one is a masseteric cutaneous ligament. The third one is a mandibular cutaneous ligament. And the platysma, which is a sheet-like muscle in the neck, you have to release that as well. So those tethering points are now released and resuspended in multiple different uh, vectors of pull. And now for the layperson that's listening, those ligaments are located where? So they're really along, if you draw a line that's from the outside of the eye, so you feel the orbital bone, and then you draw a line down to the angle of the jawline, you know, that real area is where we enter and you find, you know, the zygomatic cutaneous ligament is kind of mid-cheek, um, when you look at the masseteric cutaneous ligament, that's really where the masseter muscle, the chewing muscle ends, uh, you know, as you get closer and closer to the mouth. And then there's one, the mandibular cutaneous ligament is right next to the chin. And you can see that's usually what's tethered as the jowl falls around it. And then the platysma is in the neck. And so we really release those four structures and then suspend the entire unit of skin smash, uh, you know, all the connective tissue and some of the subcutaneous fat. So you pull that up into, um, you know, a more youthful position. And it just, I, the, the, the upside of that, so downside is obviously it's more technically challenging for the surgeon. The upside is that your recovery rate is usually a little quicker than it would be for a skin only or sometimes smash manipulation. Um, we call it a plication where you're actually folding it on top of one another or a smasectomy where you remove a portion of that and just kind of stitch it together. Um, you know, as we age, we lose volume of the face. And so to me, I think in the certain individual, you want to add that volume. So a plication is great. Um, and where you have a heavier face doing a smasectomy is, is probably the right thing to do, removing that. A uh, little strip, but but with a deep plane, you don't have to do any of that, you know. And the other good part is that you have access to the buckle fat. So when I do a deep plane lift, I see the buckle fat in front of me. So for those full faces, 
that may require a buccal lipectomy, I can do it just through the same incision. I don't have to make an incision through the mouth. And you know, the whole in vogue buccal lipectomy to make the cheeks a little bit smaller, that's mm -hmm. really what he's talking about, taking a little bit of that fat out there, but you can access it because it's sitting right in front of his face, basically. The one thing that I did want to talk about, you know, when we talk about, uh, you hear thrown around all the time. So we have mini facelift, lower facelift, mid facelift, full facelift. So, hey, you know, we give all these terms and, and, you know, again, my colleagues, they were geniuses to come up with uh, certain names as far as the ponytail lift and aura lift. And, you know, these are all deep plane facelifts that accomplish the same thing. Yeah. And some and, of the guys and some of these guys are colleagues that are great. They mm -hmm, all throw mm -hmm. their own little modification and call it their type of lift. Yeah. And, and, and great and, for branding. Exactly. I mean, that it's very intelligent. And so. Uh, but ultimately, these are all the same type of lift. Um, you know, I think the, there are a few hallmarks of a really good facelift that require extra attention by the surgeon. And this is going to be the difference between getting an A-minus result and an A-plus result. One of them is going to be, uh, you know, I feel doing a deep plane where you're releasing those structures and you're lifting up, uh, you know, the face into a more youthful position. The second is the neck. And that is where you, we do a deep neck lift. That's where you, you know, we elevate those muscles in the neck called the platysma. We get some of the fat that's below there, some of the hanging muscle that's, uh, you know, that, that has become, uh, we call totic over time. It just tends to sag. Sometimes the, the submandibular gland can, you know, kind of peek out underneath the angle of the mandible. And so that, you know, if you don't address that, you can have a perfect result and two little bumps that you still see on the underside of the neck. And so, again, I think these are much more challenging procedures because you can get into a, a hell of a lot of bleeding if you if you don't do this correctly. Um, you know, the, you get into bleeding right there in the neck and that will make you reevaluate your profession. Uh, you know, and so I think the more you do, we've all been there. And, uh, you know, we, we have to really respect that anatomy. So it's definitely for a, a more, um, you know, I wouldn't say seasoned surgeon because they need the experience, uh, you know. And uh, now some of the, the residents coming out of residency are taught this procedure. And so, right. you, you know, when you see it over and over and over and over, now you can you really respect the anatomy and you know um, you know the structures that you need to avoid. See, I think it's great that we're talking about it today because this week... Um, and it's Wednesday today. So, so this week, Monday and Tuesday, you've done back-to-back -back facelifts. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the room with you for one of them because I, I had the pleasure of, of doing revising her breasts at the same time. And it's great to watch because, again, you're having the experience and knowing because you've done so many, it's become second nature. And I think it's important for the listeners, if you're going to get a, a true facelift, um, and you're looking to get a deep plane facelift, which really, it, in my opinion, and most people that do most board-certified plastic surgeons, they will tell you that it is the best type of facelift out there um, for m multiple reasons. We'll go over some of the other stuff. Um, you need someone that is very experienced because you're dealing with facial nerves. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with structures like the submandibular gland that can really bleed, mm -hmm. and you can get into a lot of trouble. And or you leak want, saliva. Or leak or, saliva. You know, There's a lot of issues that can happen. That can and and not just in surgery, but postoperatively, mm -hmm. know how to manage it and things like that. And it's really a pleasure to be in the room to watch you do it, because it is. It's, 
it's you can do it in your sleep in a sense and it and it should be like that for the surgeon that's doing this for you mm -hmm. and and listen you can see wonderful results on instagram um you know if you look at dominic bray in in england if you look at uh mike nyack in st louis you know these are you know the dan bakers uh the stusens uh, you mm -hmm. know these are all just um classic uh facelift uh, artists um you know, our patients, believe it or not, they, they, a lot of them don't want their pictures on Instagram. And so, you know, that's why I had a patient come to me the other day and said, I just don't see enough of your facelifts on Instagram. And I said, you know, my patients don't want to be known on Instagram. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a little different clientele. Different clientele. You know, and, um, but I understand the need to see results. So when you come to the office, we can send, you know, sit you down and show you before and afters of people who are willing to allow you to see their photos here in the office. They just don't want it plastered everywhere. Um, you know, and, and, uh, people are becoming more and more amenable to being on social media, but, um, you know, I, I just don't think that's, uh, my type of practice you just know, yet. I, I think it's also the demographic and, and, and a lot of it has to do with the age. Mm -hmm. Um, what I've noticed, um, is your clientele, some of them tend to be a little bit more, a little late, a little older, mm -hmm. um, you know, whereas some of the Instagram age is much younger. And, mm -hmm. and when we were training, and in raw reality, a 40-year-old would come in for, to, for a facelift, most of the time you turn them away. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you see 40-year-olds on Instagram getting facelifts left and right. Now, yes. do I think it's right or wrong? That's not my place, but I'm going to start, I'm going to ask you some questions and say, when is the right time for a facelift? Because mm -hmm. what I've seen is, we saw someone yesterday that we actually booked for surgery. I'm doing her breast, you're doing her face. She was 51. And um, and I think her facelift's gonna look incredible. Mm -hmm. How young is too young? How old is too old? When is it a right time to come and get a facelift? Okay, so I think the average age of a facelift has uh, slowly decreased over time. Uh, you know, most recently, you know, it used to be that you were in your uh, early 60s, uh, something like that, whereas now probably, you know, mid-50, 55 is probably the average age, um, and, and practices differ from here, you know, across the country, but there are so many different variables. So let's say you are 40 years old and you have where ma uh, massive weight loss. That's a different ballgame because you can benefit from well uh, said. You know, from a, a face and neck lift, and uh, any amount of radio frequency and, and and other types of surgery really isn't going to give you the results that you can have. The other is when we're looking at some genetic traits. So let's say even at your skinniest, you've always had this pouch under your neck. Well, some people think, oh, listen, I'm just going to go get it, uh, go get liposuction. But it's, if the fat is underneath the platysma muscle, you'll never hit it. And, uh, you know, listen, we've all made mistakes. The more submental liposuction you do, you run into those patients. They have to be correctly evaluated. In the beginning of practice, you thought, ah, oh, I'll just perform liposuction and give them a great contour. That works eight out of 10 times. Those two times where you say, oof, you know, what yeah. happened? It's because, you know, it was either an improper exam mm -hmm. or sometimes it's equivocal. You, it's hard to tell at certain points. And so, um, you know, now being a little more experienced, I can differentiate between the two. Um, and so, you know, every now and then you get it wrong. Uh, but I think the, the deep neck is one of the most powerful 
tools that we have right now to really change someone who has a very full neck and face um, to really give them a defined jawline. And some people will never have that even with liposuction. And so, you know, that's really where they become a candidate. The reason why I think more people are trending towards younger and younger is we're realizing that you have more collagen in your 40s than you do in your 50s. So if we want to get longevity to these results and you want to enjoy these results, you know, the idea is, uh, you know, if you could take 10 years off the clock, you're 45 years old, I think everybody would love doing that. And sometimes it's harder to get a very natural, youthful look when you wait till you're 75 because you have deep creases set in and, and there are stigma of having a facelift because the skin quality just isn't what it used yeah. to. Um, you took it right out of my mouth. Like, mm-hmm. don't let it get so bad mm-hmm. where fixing it is that much harder. And I think that's what a lot of people are, ta- you know, I think that's the trend now. They, the surgeons are like, I'm going to get the best result if I get someone in earlier. Mm-hmm. So why am I going to wait, wait for the person to be 75, have horrible sun damage, uh, wrinkles, things that sometimes are really hard to, to fix and reverse. And I've seen some of the patients and you, they look amazing, but they still aren't going to look like they did if you did it 20 years before. Sure. And I think that's something to really consider. So if, if you look in the mirror and it bothers you and you have some jowling and your neck's kind of sagging and you have platysmal bands and you feel like, oh, I'm too young for this. I don't think that, that that's there anymore. That stigma of, oh, mm-hmm. you're too young to have a facelift because again, do it earlier so you can really enjoy it. And the other thing is, Recovery is easier. Mm-hmm. When you're younger, everything's gonna just like Dr. Lakey just said, you have more collagen in your body. It's just you're just healthier. You're you're your mitochondria are, are mm-hmm. younger. Everything mm-hmm. is just younger, and I think you will heal Recovery will at a, a more easier. rapid rate. One other question mm-hmm. I had for you is what other and, and again we could talk for hours about this, but mm-hmm. what other adjunct surgeries do you normally do with a facelift? Is it something that like, oh, I just do a facelift and I walk out, or do you also do other things because I know we used to talk about there's three different things you do for every facelift but then you also there might be eyes or brows or Mm -hmm. other things or even a nose I mean again well I was alluding to it earlier you know when we talk about mini facelift low facelift mid facelift and full so a mini facelift ultimately is a facelift through a shortened incision okay so you're still getting a facelift but it's through a shortened incision which can be great sometimes the ponytail lift does that because uh, Dr. Chachikeo does a lot uh, endoscopically, and so he tries hiding in the incisions as best he can. Obviously, that works in a uh, younger individual mm-hmm. um, just because it's easier to re- use that skin to your advantage. Once you're up into your late 60s and things like that, it becomes much more challenging, and incisions are necessary because of the excess skin. Um, and so when we talk about a lower facelift, that's usually, you know, really when we are trying to attack the corner of the, or the, the, the jawline. So you get the neck and the jawline. Um, I think for lower facelifts, you know, some people, depending on the excess skin of the neck, they're able to hide the incisions behind, uh, behind the neck and just around the lobule of the ear, the earlobe. When you get into the mid facelift, that's when you carry up the incision a little higher, and that really attacks the the marionette line or the labiomental crease, the laugh line or the nasolabial fold, and um, you know so we're we're traveling up the face, okay, and it it can also help with the area under the eyes. When you start talking full facelift, that's when we include the brow. 
suspending the brow, sometimes doing upper and lower eyes. You know, these are all common things that are done together. So very common for me is I'll say, all right, we're going to do a brow lift, an upper blepharoplasty, a lower blepharoplasty. So we take the excess skin from the upper lids. We take the puffiness from the lower lids. We do a face and neck lift. And then we do appropriate fat transfer because as you age, you lose volume in your face. Um, and it's not large volume. This isn't Beverly Hills housewife. This is more, you know, filling in what's been lost or we just restoring. And then we do something to resurface the skin. You know, I usually do a fractionated CO2 laser at the same time because it doesn't matter how hard I pull. If you have, uh, you know, the texture of the skin is crepier or something like that, then we have to do something, um, to help improve the quality of the skin. Now, some surgeons separate those two. They will do a laser either first or after. Um, I tend to do it all at the same time just because, you know, I tell my patients the same thing. For 10 to 14 days, you will not go out in public. That's just, you know, matter of fact, 10 to 14 days, you will be at home recovering. Now, if for some reason you look great at seven days, great, you know, but at least I've prepared you in case it's not the case. By 10 to 14 days, usually most people wear their hair down. They can go out to dinner. Most people aren't going to even look twice. Um, but I do say for friends and family to be event ready, we'll put that in quotations. So wedding, uh, photo shoot, whatever it is, I like to say six weeks minimum mandatory requirement because, you know, you're, you're going to look amazing. Your family's going to come up and know they want, they want to know what's been done. And I want you to feel comfortable. I don't want you to have to hide. Um, I want the uh, scars to start healing well. So usually about six weeks is when we feel comfortable to do that. Final results, that can be anywhere from three to five months. That's that last tiny little bit of swelling, residual swelling, things like that. Um, sometimes I have to inject steroids in certain areas just to help things along. But there are a couple things to look for in a good facelift, okay? Balance, so obviously not just symmetry, but balance of the face. That means, you know, someone who has a more retrusive or smaller chin, we want to look at augmenting that or adding volume or something like that because ultimately it's going to give you a better result overall. The second is we want that clean jawline without the evidence of seeing the submandibular glands. Those are two tiny little round areas. So let's say you have the perfect jawline and there are two little round bumps there. Those drive people nuts. And it's the difference, again, between an A-minus result and an A-plus result. The next thing that you look for, obviously, are hidden incisions. And, and, and whether you, you know, there are surgeons that fight uh, we argue about this all the time, whether you put your incisions in front of the ear, behind, you know, inside the ear. I tend to hide every incision in the hairline or inside the ear, in the back crease of the ear and back into the hairline. So when you heal, even your hairdresser shouldn't be able to see it. That's the way I feel it should be done. Some people, you know, they change their pattern according to the trajectory of their pole. Um, you know, some people put their incisions in front of the ear. To me, that's a dead giveaway because when you get close enough, it doesn't matter how well you heal. A lot of times you can see that little white line right there. And so, you know, I tend to not do that. Um, there are a certain hairline incisions that cause the uh, sideburn to be removed. You know, if we definitely don't want that, I tend to go on the out kind of the borders of where the hair meets the face. Um, you know, just because I don't want to move that, that was a telltale sign of a facelift back in the eighties. 
because everybody's hairline on the side, suddenly all their sideburns were gone, and it just looked very strange if you were to pull your hair back. Kenny Rogers. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so um, I do think that the best facelift is when you are kind of, you're doing everything at once. You know, obviously what is necessary. Some people don't require certain things, but when you do a facelift, the idea is we resuspend the brow. We remove that extra skin from the upper lids. We remove the puffiness from the lower lids, and then you lift the face and neck. To me, that's where you're gonna get the best natural result. When you start piecemealing, and obviously, listen, I understand that uh, you know not everybody is money, money is no object, um, but the idea is sometimes when you do things piecemeal, it, it, it becomes bizarre. You know, it's not the most natural result because you those other things that make you look older still stand out. Yeah, I mean, imagine you have a, a very rejuvenated face, but your upper eyelids have mm-hmm. extra skin. Yeah. And that's what he's talking about. So so if you do it and then you do the the kind of the holistic in a sense, you, you know, do take care of everything at the same time, I think it's a it's a better way to to make the face overall look very rejuvenated mm-hmm. you don't want one area you don't want bags under your eyes and have your face nice and tight because again that one area people will be drawn to and say oh wow she still looks young or he still looks uh, he still looks old i think that could be that could be the one giveaway um question for you what can go wrong and and you know mm-hmm. what to look for and you know what to avoid and things like that sure <clears throat> so obviously i think finding the right surgeon is going to be you know, that's paramount. So anyone out there, you're looking for a board certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon or facial plastic surgeon that really has experience in doing facelifting. And they have to be able to show you before and afters. I think one of the best things in the world is getting a a referral, you know, and not from social media because you have to understand, um, I think, although, although, you know, some of the surgeons are absolutely amazing, Sometimes social media, you know, there are tricks with cameras, um, tricks with photos, things like that where it's not being deceitful, but... Um, Just you know, being crafty. Yeah, many, well, many times uh, it doesn't give you the full picture. And so I think that, um, you know, those who give you video afterwards, those are always amazing. But really, you know, ask around. If you have friends that look really good and, and they're willing to talk to you about it, I think... Um, you know, you ask them for a referral and, and that should give you a little bit of confidence because you've seen the work in, in, in real life. Agreed. Um, you know, people who, and, and listen, we get people who fly across the country from other countries, things like that, uh, based off of a referral. Um, you know, if you're flying across the country based off of a picture, um, I, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, that there are there are not good surgeons, but I think that it shouldn't be your only starting point. Agreed. Then what things can go wrong? Listen, when when you look at all of the potential complications, you, you know I try to think of the absolute worst that could happen first. Right, bleeding, nerve injury. That's less than one percent in an experienced surgeon. Um, if you are part of that one percent, it certainly feels like a hundred percent. But uh, you know the the idea. It's very rare. If uh, in a facelift, uh, a primary facelift, that you should ha- develop any of these things, okay? True. Um, <clears throat> it, usually, the bleeding uh, or hematomas occur if it, you didn't quite uh, we call dry up the area, you know, cauterize all of the bleed bleeders uh, at the end of the case, or if it, the blood pressure is not managed properly, because 
blood pressure shoots up, a little clot pops off, and, and it's a disaster. Um, I think the more common things would be contour irregularities, because obviously we're filling with fat, we're pulling, there's stitches. Uh, you know, you may have contour irregularities from weeks to months sometimes um, uh, until everything settles, you know, and so you have to be prepared for that. The second thing, uh, my main concern would be, can you see the scars? And, um, you know, I think that uh, they have to be well-placed. Otherwise, uh, you know, the, the, again, it, you can have an amazing facelift, but if everybody sees the scars, um, What's the point? you know, it, yeah, exactly. It doesn't, doesn't look very good. So the idea is, you, you, you know, I'm hoping that uh, the surgeon you choose re- really takes their time closing the, the wound. And so um, <coughs> the, that the, the other thing is we talked about, you know, whether we do someone does a deep neck, not every surgeon opens the neck. I think that uh, I do it for almost every single individual um, because if you don't see it now, you will see it in five years. And so the goal of this is to last eight to 10 years, if not more. And so you, we, we definitely want longevity. Um, that also begs the question, how long do facelifts last? Listen, I like to say this. We'll take 10 years off, and you're going to age how you're going to age. Everybody ages at a different rate. Some people, they go back to laying in the sun and smoking and things like that. I'm, you know, obviously, I don't, I don't operate on smokers, but you know, if that were the case. Um, but uh, you know, if you maintain or you do little bits of microneedling here or there, or you, you, know, uh, you may need a, a, a little filler or something like that in the future. I think that's uh, all part of maintaining your results. And it's just like anything. It's, it's just like if I'm doing a tummy tuck, if, if you continually exercise and you keep yourself in good shape, those results are going to last for a long time. Mm-hmm. Very different with a face because you're going to age differently. Um, however, Dr. Lakey says it perfectly in the sense that if you take good care of yourself, these results will last a significant amount of time. Most of the lifts that we do or the pexies that we do in plastic surgery, we've always been told to tell people, it's about 10 years mm-hmm. and it depends on your structure and your collagen and your elastin and how much it's going to keep up and how you take care of yourself. So if you maintain, you don't sit in the sun, you keep coming back and doing things like microneedling and Morpheus and hydrofacials and little bits here and there to maintain. I think that, you know, that one facelift should get you very, very far. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I love the fact that people are doing it younger because it just makes people, I saw a daughter and a, and a mother yesterday and I'd operated on the, the daughter and you'd operated on the mother and the mothers. I was like, you guys look like sisters. Mm-hmm. And it just, it makes, it makes a mom feel great because they've worked so hard to raise this child. But now they're like, oh, I feel like her sister. This yeah, is great. Yeah. So you want, it, it's as much as the operation is to make someone look better. At the end of the day, the goal of everything we do in our practice is to make them feel better. To make each individual feel more confident about yourself. And I do think that this is one of those procedures that makes people feel the best because when they, you know, you look at your face more than you look at anything else, right? Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you're getting old, you get really upset about it. You feel like, oh man, I don't look like myself again. And when you can do it, and to me, the goal of an excellent facelift, and I think you do this really well, is to just rejuvenate the person to be the best version of themselves. Whereas... I know that you can, there are times where by doing all of these eyes and nose and brow and face, you can really make someone look like a different person. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead, you really just maintain that person's look 
but just make it look more youthful, which is amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm going to have to do it one day. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, that's a, I think that's the hardest part for patients is wrapping their mind around the fact that, um, you know, this is the F word that everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I can't. You know, um, I think that once you relegate yourself to the fact that you would like to look younger, then you kind of put that word out of your mind uh, because it, it does come with, you know, negative connotations. And, and, uh, but I do think that now with better techniques and improved uh, aftercare and things like that, um, you know, I think that uh, people look much more natural. And so I, we're going to stray away from, you know, some of the, the bad Hollywood nightmares. Completely agreed. Um, listen, uh, a couple different things before we, we sign off. I think that if you are considering a facelift or you just feel like you're not looking yourself and you want to know your options, I would seek out a board certified plastic surgeon, uh, or facial plastic surgeon that is experienced in rhinoplasty and you want to see some of their results. And, and I, I would go off of referrals of friends or, or relatives or, or people, you know, that you like the work that just makes it the, the easiest. Otherwise, uh, you got to do a little bit of research. And so when you visit your surgeons and you uh, look at their before and afters and you can ask what technique they do. I mean, I think most people, you know, a, a deep plane isn't the only way because, listen, there have been multiple studies followed over years and years and years. And really, the best technique is the one the surgeon feels most comfortable with and, and does the best job with. Because what they'll do is they'll alter the technique to fit the, you know, their own mold, whatever needs to be done to, in order to increase longevity. They see the results, what comes back, and they say, you know what, next time I'm going to do this. And so you constantly are improving as I, I, I try doing every single day. So, um, but th those are my recommendations for you. Um, you know, the one thing you can talk about and, and you know, you, you don't want to come with too much information, but you, if you, if you have those little bumps on the side of your neck, uh, under the jawline those are called submandibular glands and you want to ask the surgeon what do you do about these make sure that they address those um, i hope you've learned something here today uh, to keep your questions coming and because this is again how we come up with our uh, youtube channel and, and podcast because we definitely want to give you the best uh, and most relevant information because so. we know that knowledge is really power and it's the key for you to really be able to hold whatever you're looking for and get whatever you're looking for from any plastic surgery procedure that you're doing so the more you know the more you can get out of it when you go see whatever plastic surgeon you're seeing in your area that's right it allows you to put your best face forward and if you have any questions if you live in another state you don't want to travel to beverly hills uh, i am happy if you reach out to offer suggestions and recommendations on different surgeons uh, throughout the country uh, you know, that would give you reliable results. Absolutely. And so uh, once again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payment Daniel Poor. You can listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Peace. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.